wonderfuls welcome to episode 339 of the podcast with my final boy of summer as far as i know terry bloss who i have known for many years he's a wonderful um graphic novelist uh illustrator all around great artist um and uh and it we just have been in touch for so many years. It just, I, it just felt like it was high time, high time to have him on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I feel sure you will. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Chris R who is, uh, going, has, has traveled through Antarctica and now is headed towards the Arctic as part of the Coast Guard. I find that, um, wonderful. I can't wait to hear about your latest adventure. And I wanted to remind everyone that I will be doing a live version of the JV Club at the Bell House, the Marvelous Bell House in Brooklyn. Um, you can find uh, access to the ticket link. Uh, it's just on the homepage of my Twitter. It is the pinned tweet at the top. Um, so you can hang out with me in person on Wednesday, October 9th at 8 p.m. And uh, I very much look forward to it. I will talk to you guys soon. I don't know why I dragged all of that out. I guess I was just giving you time to pull up the link and go ahead and buy tickets while I was talking. Okay, bye. Anyway, hi. <laughs> so you're back home now. Yeah, you're not still. Yeah, in I'm in Portland, which is funny because yesterday or the day before, maybe when I was like, we're good, right? To record. And you were like, yeah, 930 my time. First, I was this is how messed up my brain has been. I still thought, oh, 1030 my time, even though I was in Portland on the same time zone as you. Well, it didn't help that I said 930 my time. That suggests that I also am sure you're somewhere else. So I'm sure I hel- did not help remove that thought from your <laughs> no mind. it's fine i've just been traveling so much for like comic shows i mean you know how that is <laughs> you do that too i do yeah i do indeed it's conf- it, it definitely confuses my body still i wish i could say that like you know i'm immune to that and i'm just a because there are certain people you know i was just at dragon con um with hal luplin and mark agliardi and i was I complained about jet lag as if I assumed that Hal would feel the same way. I was like, oh, you know, those first couple of days getting up at like 930 feels like so (laughs) early. And he was like, oh, is that a problem for you? And I was like, oh, I'm. I'm clearly on my own on this one. Yeah, yeah, I the more comic shows I do and the more like young people that come up doing comics and starting out and I can see that they like go out partying all night after the convention and I'm at the point where I'm like I'm going to put on my my device that shoots electricity into my back and I'm going to go That's back right. to the hotel room and order some food and do nothing. Oh my god, it's so funny you would bring that up because I have been I mean, this is a very depressing subject, but I've, I've been <laughs> battling, you know, these just horrible neck and back problems the last few months. And um, this morning, like I did great on all of this traveling around and during Dragon Con. And then this morning I woke up and like stretched uh-huh. like while I was still lying down. I was like, ah, ah, totally pinched a nerve, like oh. in, like right at my spine between my shoulder blades, just right there at like that point in my spine. And I am in a lot of pain, my friend. Oh no, body problems, right? Like I, yeah, yeah, I know. I can't function in the day anymore unless I get up and like stretch, try to move around first. I don't know. 
I'm not kidding. Well, I never should have let myself stretch this morning, I guess, because (laughs) apparently stretching is the thing that put me into uh, a whole whole to-do. So it's cool because your only job now is to just completely distract me from the state of affairs. I will do the best I can. (laughs) I'll tell you Uh, anything you want to know. (laughs) Yeah, a real dog and pony show. Maybe some... I mean, at the very end, of course, I will ask you to sing. So I'll just look forward to that until... Uh, until the bitter end of the podcast. <laughs> oh, so you were just with your fam. I in, was uh, Idaho. Yeah, my family still lives. Is it in... now? Do you okay? Do, uh, let me really quickly. This is a very basic question, but does is it a thing where the rest of the country says Boise, like with a Z yes. kind of Boise, and everyone who lives there says Boise? That's correct. I tell people, and I just wrote this in a comic too. I tell people it's Boise with an S, not Boise with a Z. <laughs> But yeah, nobody in the nobody in the rest of the country cares. It's just like <laughs> it's just a thing. If you're from Boise, you say Boise. So yeah, yeah. Isn't it funny? But like, why? Like, for for it to be a word that everyone who actually lives in the state to say correctly, you'd think that that would be the thing that persevered over like one person once saying it wrong, and then now the whole rest of the country says it wrong. Like, I wonder No, I totally, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a weird regional thing. Like, I remember hearing, like, I would always say Toronto, and people are like, oh, no, that's not how you say it. (laughs) But, but like, people outside of, that, that don't live in Toronto don't, you know, don't say Toronto, I think. I mean, a lot of them don't, but maybe it's just a thing now where with, like, the internet, and with like more access to information, people are going, oh, OK, I guess that's not how you not how you say it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I lived there for 17, 18 years, I think, 17 years. Um, but that's where I grew up. My whole family still lives there. Um, not my extended family. Most of my extended families in Utah and Mexico. But but like my immediate family is all in Boise and the surrounding area. So whenever I go home in the summer for like the the Boise library does a great comic book convention and whenever I go home I stay a few extra days so that I can visit my family and hang out with my parents and my sister and whatnot oh that's nice it's yeah. nice it is really nice to have a reason when you can kind of combine reasons like that right I think they call that business and pleasure uh, I some I call, sometimes call it an obligation <laughs> um also fair yeah but uh it's interesting because Boise's definitely not the same city that I grew up in. I left in like 97. And so hmm. like 98. And it's just grown. So I think it's one of the fastest growing cities in the country, which is kind of interesting to think about. And I think it's because it's largely still inexpensive to live there comparatively. So I guess. But um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. It's It's interesting going back to a place where I'll go for a few days. There's this interesting, fun comic book convention that I feel like I'm a part of and I want to contribute to because... You know, there was, I don't really think there's anything like that for kids when I was growing up there. So I kind of feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, like I'm in a way like kind of giving back or like helping in some sort of way to like this community that I grew up in. And like, you know, growing up in Boise was just kind of, for me, weird because I felt so different than most other people there. And now when I go back, there's still a small sense of that, but like mostly it's just a fun, good time. So I think it's strange to go back to like a place you grew up in and have like really mixed feelings about it. I don't know. Yeah. But if, for those of you who um, aren't familiar with Terry and his wonderful work, um, Terry, do you want to kind of start the the sure. the story of why you felt so different? <laughs> um, I am. Oh, I guess I'll start with this. I'm the youngest of four. My mom is from Mexico. My dad is from Idaho. 
both are Mormon. They met on my dad's mission. So like, I guess now it's different when I was when I did my mission, because I was a missionary. Um, you went when you were 19. But I guess now boys go when they're 18. Uh, but my dad was a missionary in the 70s in Mexico and met my mom there. And so growing up, I spoke English and Spanish um, in Boise, which Idaho, I sort of refer to as like northern Utah, because hmm. like, um, it is very LDS. It's very Mormon. And so yeah, growing up, I would say that like my graduating class was probably 500 kids, but there was it was probably 80, 85% Mormon. So you were kind of like a yeah. weirdo if you weren't Mormon. At a super young age, like I knew that I was different in terms of like, I was not noticing girls the way other boys were. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but also not like fully understanding what what gay really was, I guess. Hmm. So yeah, so you weren't necessarily having having you weren't necessarily having the feelings for boys that you observed or, you know, interpreted as other guys feeling for girls. Right. Like, it was it was one of two things. Like, obviously, as I was going through puberty, I was like, Oh, I'm attracted to this guy or this guy's really nice. I think he's cute, whatever. But not really able to express that to many people. Um, and also, loving that all my friends were girls <laughs> but like <laughs> not not wanting to really like date them or be with it you know what I mean um yeah so yeah it was I didn't feel like I was in a place where I was comfortable telling many people I had one or two friends I could maybe confide in but like growing up in the church I grew up in I you know I remember lessons about like homosexuality is the gravest sin after murder and <laughs> reading pamphlets oy, about oy. The, you know, reading pamphlets about things that like how they gave electroshock therapy to like people who expressed gay feelings. And I I kind of attribute being Mexican, Mexican-American to the fact that I didn't buy into like I didn't believe that that was true. And so hmm. <laughs> I felt like I was in the sunken place for a couple of years. <laughs> like I would sure. just go through them, like go through the motions, have this kind of like response of like being on autopilot because like my brother and sisters were kind of like bad kids. And so my parents were always like, oh, you're our good child. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, All one day, the pressure's yeah. on you. All the, yeah. And so that was kind of, um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of pressure in that, but I, I did feel a lot of pressure to be good, but like knowing that my knowing that I didn't choose my parents like that I didn't choose to be Latino like not in a bad way I'm very proud of that but just that I didn't choose yeah. who my par- who my parents were helped me kind of feel like at a young age in church when I was being told that like this lifestyle is a sinful choice something in my brain was like wait a minute that's not a choice I didn't make a choice to feel this way hmm that's very that's impressive for being young and and you know not being not necessarily being swayed by that kind of doctrine. I mean, there are things that I think there are times when I was like, you know, this is this is stuff that's just true or this is stuff that I believe conflicting with like, I don't think this is true, <laughs> you know, like, right, from, right, or, right. Or, or, or that this isn't for me, I guess. I remember yeah. this is this is bizarre. I remember at a very young, well, maybe I was like 10. Um, an older man at church asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, oh, I want to write and I want to draw and I want to make comics and movies and all this kind of stuff. And he said, oh, you can't be a good member of this church and do that. 
And yeah, but my response wasn't like this. Oh, no, what? I remember distinctly feeling like, well, I guess when I'm older, I'm not going to be a member of this church because that's what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah. But also, like, it doesn't sound like anything. Everything that you just said sounds so innocuous to me. Like, I don't know, you know, it's interesting to wonder what the interpretation was on his part that made that sound like it was somehow, you know, more salacious or dangerous than saying, like, I want to be an accountant, you know? Right. He's like, well, you can be a great member of this church and be an accountant. <laughs> it's like, okay. Right, right. We love money in the LDS church. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's yeah. not untrue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It was a very interesting, I think, like, place to grow up, especially for like a kid who I don't know like I I think I was kind of really into labels as a kid because that would I think help me kind of put like find a place to feel Mm -hmm. where I belonged and which is interesting because I think today a lot of people kind of throw labels away um yeah but I you know I was like well I'm Mexican I'm American I'm bicultural I'm biracial I'm gay I'm you know any of these things um that kind of helped me feel like I had a place that I could that I could sort of figure myself out. I don't know, like I going back home, I don't think there's anything wrong with growing up in a city, you know, staying there, having kids, getting married, like living your life in the same city. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But that never was an option for me. It never crossed my mind that I would stay in mm-hmm. Boise. Because I was like, yeah. oh, when I graduate high school, I'm gone. I'm leaving. I mean, I still had to fin- to finish a mission, but, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we got to get into that. Well, so, yeah, just so when did you maybe you said this and I missed it, honey. But when did at what point did you sort of recognize that you were gay? Like rather than, as you said, you know, earlier on, you know, having have like not knowing you knowing it was more about the absence of feelings that you were supposed to feel rather than the presence of feelings that you weren't supposed to feel, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily take issue with the term like born this way. I think that's fine. I think it's just an easier way for people to say this is a natural thing that I went through. Just like just like any, I guess, straight person that as they are growing up and they go through puberty and they notice, you know, the opposite gender that they're attracted to, whatever. I think at a young age, I, I remember having crushes on boys, but distinctly after this other, these other experiences when I was a kid, like I collected an insane amount of My Little Pony as a kid. <laughs> oh, like, were you so excited when you found out bronies were a thing? I was, but I was also like, excuse me, I got made ah! so much <laughs> for collecting this. You're thing. like, wait a minute, why? If I should have come up with this, if it was going to exist, it should have like right? originated with me. I'm like, wait a minute, I had Twilight Sparkle and Bouquet up on my shelf for years and years, and y'all made fun of me for it. I sat in my the hours I spent in my room braiding My Little Pony hair. My sister had a purple oh. cur- like curling iron that was like a mini curling iron, and I would steal it so much that. Let me tell you that the image of a young boy getting a basketball for Christmas, a young gay boy, when his sister gets the My Little Pony castle, <laughs> like you're like, ah, you can't, you can't. Like you might as it. well have had a lump of coal in your stocking. Right. So I think that like, you know, I'm not saying that that boys who are straight can't like things that typically girls are supposed to like. I'm definitely not saying that. But I do think that I had these experiences that my parents, if they weren't I think living in sort of a 
Mormon bubble, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, like they had no idea of knowing that these things could be signifiers of other mm. things out in the world. And so they, I think, just didn't like they your, my, people are like, how did your parents not know? I'm like, I just don't think they did. Like, if if you're not meeting any gay people, if you're not talking to any gay people, you know, you, yeah. you, you don't have any kind of like frame of reference. But yeah, at a young age, I I started having crushes on on boys. And I did have one gay friend growing up and I was able to kind of chat with him about some of that stuff and confide in him. So we didn't feel so like alone. But I was simultaneously having crushes on on other guys while also being told every week in church that that was wrong. So I knew I couldn't talk about it openly. I mean, that's I do want to just like um put a point on that a little bit because this is yet another thing about the Mormon church that like, I don't know if I just blacked it out because mm-hmm. it was too upset, but I, I, not only did I never sit down, like, again, if I sort of like wipe this from my mind, that's actually quite scary to me, but I have, I never sat down with a bishop in a, in a room alone and like, you know, had to, you know, was asked prying questions about my sexuality or anything, nor was I do, nor do I remember any, uh, any lessons in Sunday school or anything. Now I didn't go to, um, what you call it, seminary, which is like, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's almost like an extra high school class, right? You would go like maybe in the case it's of like an, uh, like an elect, yeah. like an elective that you can take. Like an elective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I elected not to take. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you went on a mission, you were definitely in it deeper than me, but yeah, I mean like, but I also don't remember like, I mean, I certainly remember going, I know seminary is not for me. Like I, I will not do this. I it's, you know, I will continue to go to to church with my mom on Sundays through high school, even though, you know, maybe that's not it, you know, the, the thing, the thing about it that was fun for me at the time was, was the social side of it because I did really like the kids that I went to, to church with. And I, and one of my best friends was there, but you know, at the time he and I would just make fun of everything to each other. So at the time I felt like, yeah, you know, I'm the rebel, but I was very quiet about it. Um, but like, I don't, I, I just don't have a memory of ever, I don't think that homosexuality was ever something that was was overtly spoken of um, in any kind of lesson or anything. I do think there's a really big difference. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's a very big difference in what is taught to young men and young women in the Mormon church. Because uh... I, had, I, I had heard from another friend of mine who who is gay and who was a member of the church. She said that she was never talked to about any of this stuff either. And I remember distinct lessons about like... Masturbation can lead to homosexuality. Homosexuality is a Whoa. sin. Don't do it. Don't engage in it. Don't, et cetera, et cetera. I remember that being pretty strict, like not strict, I guess, but taught enough that like it stuck in my mind. I remember yeah. reading a pamph- that pamphlet about electroshock therapy and I was like, oh my um, God. you're not getting my brain. <laughs> like you're not touching my brain. Oh like, I'm, my God. That's yeah. so scary. So I think that. I mean, I was like, I'm like, I'm keeping this to myself then until I'm an adult. And I can, I think it's very telling that after my mission, which was in New York City, uh, (laughs) I was amazing. Amazing. I was like, maybe God does exist. (laughs) Anyway. um, Uh, No, a hundred, but that was exactly the joke I was about to make. I was about to be like, well, if anything needed to continue your journey towards understanding who you were, it would be perhaps a different experience and challenging and, you know, possibly 
you know, amazing in all kinds of different ways. But if you had gone to, you know, the Czech Republic, like that, right. maybe it wouldn't have been this. I mean, it certainly wouldn't have been <laughs> the same experience. So yeah, who knows? Who knows what that would have taught you? But when I came out to my parents, my dad was like, did you engage in any homosexual activity on your mission? And I was like, I saw the Lion King on Broadway. But what I was getting at was that after my mission, I bought a car in Idaho and I drove straight to L.A. and I never went to church again. Like, I was just like, yeah. nope, I'm done. I'm an adult now. And I don't yeah. live where my family lives and I can make my own decisions now and I can be my own person. I still didn't come out to them for a long time, but... I was not engaged in Mormonism. <laughs> like, that just wasn't what I was going to do. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Macho man to the top rope. The flying elbow. The cover. We've got a new champion. We're here with Macho Man Randy Savage after his big win to become the new world champion. What are you going to do now, Match? I'm going to go listen to the newest episode of the Tights and Fights podcast. Oh, yeah. Tell us more about this podcast. It's the podcast of power. Too sweet to be sour. Funky like a monkey. Woke discussions, man. And jokes about wrestlers' fashion choices. Myself excluded. Yeah. I can't wait to listen. Neither can I. You can find it Thursdays on Maximum Fun. Oh, yeah. Dig it. I should also maybe put into context um, for people how you and I met, which is now very many years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, We met in Portland. Mm -hmm. I was working at, um, well, I still am a member of uh, Helioscope Studio. And I believe I invited you out because I was such a big fan of this podcast and of Cora. Yes. And so, yeah, so I met you. I came to your studio and we hung out and then, yeah, we talked about we had already sort of, you know, had exchanges correspondence um, about the Mormon thing. And and so you and I have kept in touch about that. And, um, you know, obviously not just that, but I, I mean, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I knew you before you came out to them, right? Because didn't you write me when they did, when you did? And you were like, that didn't go great. Or am I just like completely inventing that? No, no, no. I, yeah, I believe that's very true because I remember writing you about it. Um, I uh, let me get into this, I guess. <laughs> I, <was laughs> it really, I told myself that I was not going to come out to my family or my parents unless I was in a, I created this what I thought was an impossible situation where I was like, if I'm a, if I'm with someone, if I care about this person, if we live together, then I don't want to do that to that person. I, like, I don't want to make them hide. That's not fair to them. Mm. So mm-hmm. then I will come out. to my, And that's the situation I found myself in. And, and why did you think it was impossible at the time? You just thought like, I how am I ever going to have that kind of a closeness with someone? Or? Yeah, I guess because I never saw that modeled for myself in in a way that like I didn't know really any other Mormon people who kind of either left the church and just like started living the life they wanted to in terms of you know who they were in um, creatively or who they were in their sexuality. I just didn't have any kind of frame of reference, which is why I think representation and diversity is so important for people. But I think that, yeah, I don't know. I wrote my parents a letter and I have encountered one or two people who are like, that's kind of a cop out. Why didn't you? And I was like, look, <laughs> that's not fair. 
that's not fair for someone to say. I, the whole reason that I did that was because I read an article about how that's what, um, what's her name? Jane, uh, she's from Glee. She played Sue Sylvester. Yeah. Jane Lynch? Yes, Jane Lynch. She said that's yeah. how she came out to her parents. Because it was the best way for her to get out everything she wanted to say yes. without being interrupted. And I was like, this is incredible because I know that if I call my parents, I'm going to get out two words and they're going to start either crying or screaming or whatever. And maybe that's not a fair assumption, but I felt that's what would happen. But also like, well, first of all, I mean, you know, I'm going to get all up in arms about this. So whoever said that that was a cop out, that makes me really mad because um, <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's also fair, you know, it, it, Every, every person is different and every family dynamic is different. And if you see the opportunity to let your parents digest something where, you know, their first response might be, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but, you know, if there's a possibility that their first response might be this knee-jerk reaction that then creates this rift between you guys that is very hard right. to repair because everyone is speaking in the moment passionately versus they read it, they're really upset. You know, they read it again. Yeah, they have time to digest it, yeah. like to think about it. And I felt like I was being very, I don't know, I guess generous in a way, because in, in this letter I said, look, it's taken me a really long time to understand where I'm at, who I am. So I don't expect you to suddenly get it. So if you need time, mm. that's fine. If you yeah. need to think about it, that's sort of why I'm doing this. But, you know, now the ball is in your court to right. to digest it however you need to. Um, it didn't go so great, <laughs> but I'll just say, I remember a lady I was working with telling me it was, uh, it's something I appreciated more than people who were like, oh, everything's going to be fine kind of thing. She was like, mm -hmm. oh, it's going to suck for a while, but then it'll start mm -hmm. to get better and better. And that was like a really honest and also kind of hopeful response. And that's kind of what happened. Like things did start to get better after a while. And after we were able to have conversations, um, about kind of the subject. I told my parents, I said, I think you have a problem with this because you think you don't know any gay people. And now you do. You have one in your family. Interesting. And all, all you have to go off of is what your church has told you or what you've seen on TV that's not correct. So now you have a person you can talk to about this and ask questions to. It would be so hard not to like, it, you know, in it because like it's after the fact. And of course, like, you know, I'm on your side, your quote unquote side. Like part of me also wants to just be like, you think that you don't know any gay people. You do. Like, you know, gay people that you don't know are gay, you know, but like, yeah. you don't like, I'm not the only gay person, you know, I guarantee you, you know, other gay people, but for, you know, one reason or another, you don't know. Yeah. That's why I said, you think you don't know any gay people. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you do. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It's like, yeah, things have slowly gotten better. You know, I've got a good relationship with my parents and that's, that's really nice. And so I can come back and they've met my husband and I've been able to bring him home and he gets along with my parents. So that's, you know, it's really nice. Um, that's wonderful. Yeah. But yeah, it was a really dark time, especially because when I came out to them, um, not long after I went through a bad breakup with the person that I was in that situation with, <laughs> with like the person mm. that I kind of did this for, you know, I did it for myself yeah. as well, but like, I didn't want to do that to that person. And that's around the time, I think that's the second time you and I met, you were doing another show here in Portland. Yeah. And I'm not the type to be like, I'm not doing so great. But and I've never like expressed that to someone if they're like asking how I am. I'm usually like, oh, I'm good. You know, most people I think do. 
But for some reason, I confided in you. <laughs> you were there for me. I don't know. And I credit that with like the moment I started to turn things around. You, you know, you kind of were the same to me. You're like, you. Ca- I think you Carrie Fishered me because you were like, you know, take your broken heart and turn it into art, turn it into something. And the next day I started writing my first graphic novel. I was like, I need to focus on something else besides this bad breakup. Ugh. And it's well, just, listen, I don't know. I take all the credit. I just take all the credit. I give take. it to you. I think, well, no. <laughs> No. I think that, well, let me put it this way. I guess I feel like I made my life better as a result of your kindness and openness and this podcast. Oh I don't goodness. know. I hope that, I don't know. I ho- I'm, hope I'm not making you uncomfortable. <laughs> not at, no, I'm so moved by that. And, and it just makes me so happy to have you as my final boy of summer because it does feel like, you know, it's, a, you know, just to have that sort of it feels like it's completing something I didn't even know was a circle, but, um, yeah. but it, you know, it just, it just means so much to me and it meant so much to me from the very beginning, you know, to hear you say those kind words, um, about the podcast and, um, and, and one of the things that I wanted to see if I could pry out of you, which is not necessarily, um, yeah, I'm asking a person who didn't have a traditional experience, not that I can say what a traditional experience is serving a mission, <laughs> but for, sure. for those, you know, for those people who maybe don't know, like they know sort of in broad terms, this concept of like, oh, yeah, guys go on a mission. Um, they don't know what that means or what that yeah. looks like, you know, what their life they looks really like. Don't. And I would love if I would love if you would if you would sort of, you know, take people through. Obviously, you don't have to go through all the minutia, but. But what that looks like, like what, you know, if you know you're going to be going on a mission, you know, when does that happen? What does it look like beforehand? When do you find where you're quote unquote called to and and kind of that kind of thing? Right. So from the time you're a little boy (laughs) in the Mormon church, (laughs) you know, you're expected to go on a mission that's expected of you at the age of, I guess, now 18. But when I was growing up 19, um, it was so ingrained in me that my mom would tell me, if you don't like your food, you better eat it. Because when you're a missionary, you're going to get food that you don't like and you're going to have to eat it to be nice. Like that ingrained. Wow. Um, but you are expected to basically give up two years of your life to go wherever, quote unquote, God calls you to go, which is actually, um, you know, a council of old white guys who are like, where do we need more missionaries? <laughs> Oh my god! Where, it's so where do we sad. need more? Where do we need more members? Talk about the Wizard of Oz, man! Right, like pay no attention to us over here behind yeah. the Salt Lake City curtain. Um, That's right. But I love the Wizard of Oz. I've got to tell you about the story about that later. Anyway, um, yeah. So you're expected to give up two years of your life, but people, when you tell them that, they assume like, oh, you go around and teach people about, you know, your religion or whatever. But it's so much more than that. Um, imagine a kid who grew up like loving movies, books, comics, drawing, reading, singing. And for two years, you cannot read anything but the Bible and the Book of Mormon. Oh, God. You can't You can't watch television. You can't watch movies. You can't go anywhere without another companion. You're always paired with someone. And so, like, the only place you can go to be alone is, like, the bathroom. <laughs> um, and, yeah, you have to wake up at 6 a.m. every day. You have to do scripture study, Bible study, Book of Mormon study, um... And then you either go out and visit people that other church members have referred you to who want to learn, or you go knock on doors. 
And yeah. for me, in the Bronx, that was knocking on doors in the project. I know how to get into any building in New York City. <laughs> I was that was going to be my next question. Like, how the hell do you even access some of that, some of those neighborhoods? Because there are so many. Like, but bu- ring the buzzer or whatever. Let me tell you something. This is very terrible. Please don't use this, people. But everybody loves getting a surprise package. So if you buzz on any random door and they say who, and you say UPS. Oh my god. <laughs> So that's dishonest, but that's the kind of thing that that Jesus smiles upon because it's a, a white lie to get you into to spread the gospel. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Amazing. So Amazing. also, you're you know you're not supposed to be gay if you go on a mission, like, or if you are, you're not supposed to act on it. But um, right. I think recently the church has been more open about like it's so it, it's um you know like if you are experiencing homosexual feelings, that's okay. Just don't act on it. It's like all right. Well, I'm not going to live a life alone. Sorry about it. Right. Do you feel like that's progress though? Like does that when you when you hear that, do you think okay, well this is just a very slow moving train that eventually Gosh, that's might, such a tough it, You know? Yeah. Um, Cuz there are people I'm sure like our parents age who would be like no one would ever tell a Mormon boy, you know, if you're having homosexual feelings, do you know, you know, you're not sinning. It's just something that you shouldn't act on. So like next, is it going to be, you know, you're having homosexual feelings like, you know, that's okay, but whatever, like what are the next series? Are they going to roll out a series of, of like, this is okay, but this isn't okay until finally it's like, now we've decided that it's okay. Well, I know that the church today received, I didn't expect this to hope you don't mind this being so Mormon heavy. <laughs> but, but, well, um, no, and we can, the, we can steer off from it. But oh, no, yeah, no, I just okay. realized I all of a sudden I was like, I don't think, I don't think I've ever talked about like, you know, and I don't even know really what, you know, that the process of going on a mission is like, because that's not information that's imparted to girls in any kind right. of a real way. Like if you're a girl and you want to go on a mission, you have sort of have to make, as far as I know, you kind of have to make that very loud and clear. Um, like I think it's very harmful the way that the church talks to and about and treats young women and for me there's this like strange underlying thing that they don't say where women who are if, if you want if you're a woman and you want to be a missionary you have to wait until you're 20 or 21 right and to me what that means is missionaries are told when they come back from their mission that if they're not married within six months to a year they're sinning which means That's snap so up crazy. a girl, like a, a Mormon woman, you better get her married and pop out some babies for Jesus. So what that means right. to me is that if, you ha- if you're have, if you a young woman and you've had to wait until you're 21, then you must be some sort of hideous beast who can't get married. So you may as well go on a mission. That to me is so oh, awful no. to tell young women. That's just my opinion. But I think it's so terrible for young women you- to feel that way or be made to feel like, oh, I guess I, I wasn't you know, worthy enough to get married. I guess I'll teach people like that's so terrible. Do you feel like that's do you feel like that's something that is kind of like actual doctrine? Or do you or are you speaking from like a place of like, well, maybe like my ward, you know, maybe my community? I would say that I think it's bigger than just like a local ward. I think that's kind of a widespread, unspoken belief. Um, yeah, but definitely both, not both about the girls, both about the girls and also about like, you better be married within six months to a year. Right. Oh, yeah. Was that told to you like when you were on your mission and or before was that sort of like after my mission, it was told to me that if I wasn't married within six months to a year, I would be sinning. And I was like, wow. <laughs> well, legalize gay marriage then. <laughs> like, oh I don't know what gosh. to tell you. Um, 
but yeah, I do think that what you were saying about progress, it's such a difficult question because I think that there that that in a way is a little bit of progress. But like the church tells people not to say that they're gay. They tell them to say right. that you have same gender attraction. And I spoke at this um, former Mormon conference thing for queer people a while back. And I said, I personally will never say that. I will never say I have SGA or same gender, whatever, because that implies that I have something that is changeable or curable, like a disease. Right. And if you say I am something, you're claiming that as part of your identity and they don't want you to do that. So for me, that's a big difference. I think that not many people know, but the I don't want to make it too dark, but the highest suicide rate in the country is amongst Mormon teenagers in Salt Lake City who identify as LGBTQ. Oh. And so I think that what the church struggles with is the fact that it's be, it's becoming more and more accepted in society for people to be queer. And that flies in the face of the doctrine of you are here to have a family with you know, an opposite gender person from you and have children because there are spirit babies waiting to be born for Jesus. Right. Right. <laughs> it's such spirit a strange people are like people are like, wait, you grew up in a in a religion that won't let you drink coffee? Like they really don't understand what Mormonism yeah. is. And yeah. the best way I can describe it is is that like Mormonism is what happens when you're a teenager in the eighteen hundreds and you're so bored that after your fiftieth reread of the Bible, you start writing your own fantasy fan fiction. <laughs> Ah, that's amazing. And like your friends and family are just like a little too supportive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. That's basically what the Book of Mormon is. <laughs> oh, that's quite wonderful. That's I don't know quite how else wonderful. to describe it. <laughs> oh my God. The Book of Mormon is fan fiction. I feel like such an adult that I never like put made that connection. That is brilliant. I mean, I've done a lot of research in regards to like the passages that are you know, plagiarized from other books and the names and things that are taken from other places. But, you know, don't tell a believing LDS person that they'll just get really mad. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For me, it's, it's fantasy fan fiction. I don't know what else to God, tell that's you. Amazing. That's so amazing. <laughs> and I think it's strange because people don't realize that like, that like, um, the LDS people believe that the Book of Mormon was written by prophets in ancient Central America. So that's why there's so many Latino members. There's probably more members, um, I believe, outside of the U.S. than there are now in the U.S. because missionaries teach that this book is an ancient record of your people when they are in mm. Central America as missionaries. So to me, that's oh a strange cultural God, manipulation so that I don't really... Strange. It's so strange. It's just, it's like twist your stomach into a not strange. Like, it's one thing to, oh, God, I just, ugh, let's talk about this for a second. And first of all, oh, also, did you listen to my episodes with Teresa Edmonds yet? I'm not sure. I've, I've okay, listened to almost they, every they episode. They were fairly recent, but Teresa is um, an amazingly well-read, like, very much inside um, the, the, you know, she was very much... Uh, those of you who've listened to the episode know, like at, at one time she was very much all about like, let's, let's, um, 
let's change the church you know let's let's bring it up yeah. to current standards like let's fem you know make it more feminist let's this that's and then eventually she just was like fuck this like i can't put any more energy into this like they're they they hate me but she i keep talking about oh my god guys i gotta do like a whole i want to do like 12 episodes on mormonism like just as a separate podcast we should definitely talk because I filmed a documentary about queer ex-Mormons and I can't wait to show it to you. <laughs> oh my God. I can't wait to see it. When you, you drop that statistic on me and it just makes me, I mean, it just, well, it just this, breaks my what heart. kills me is that nobody is talking about how an organization, i.e. a church who runs 90% of what happens in that state might have something to do with it. In fact, the state of Utah released a statement saying that um, the high suicide rate is attributed to the high elevation level i was so afraid Utah. you were gonna say that i was so afraid you were like, gonna say are, that like what like so oh my so God. exclusively queer teenagers have a problem breathing in utah because it's rising out of the ground like i don't i mean that's, that's so preposterous it's like it's hilarious. ridiculous to me and with, going off of what you just said about your previous episode i i can't wait to hear it now because so many people i know and 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 so many, I guess I would say, like well-known or famous Mormons or ex-Mormons have this movement of like stay in the church, love the church, try to change the church. And I don't feel that way because when someone said like, well, I have to start with my community, and like if if I see a burning building, I can't just run away. And I'm like, the first thing they tell you to do if you see a burning building is get out, right? Like run, and right. and I understand that people may find comfort in the church and find that that's like really good for them. And I, I think there are many good LDS people. I'm not trying to knock that. I love my family. I think my family is wonderful. You know, my sister, when I came out to her, she was like, yeah, I'm Mormon, but guess what? I don't judge you for the way you live your life and you don't judge me for the way I live mine. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And she and I have a great relationship and I love her to death. And this might sound terrible after saying that, but I do think there's a big difference between, and I think Sarah Silverman said something similar to this, between people who are liars and those who are lied to. Mm. And and I think there's a really big difference there. And for me, that's the distinction because if you are on a fast-moving train, this is the analogy I like to use that I use in my documentary. If you're on a fast-moving train, but you're running in the opposite direction, you're still going where the train wants you to go. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how fast you run. <laughs> Yeah. And so and so for me it's a it's a matter of I don't agree with what this organization does. I need to step away because right. I think that the church, many church, this isn't exclusive to the Mormon church. I think many churches only change when threatened with the loss of money. Yeah. Like one of my heroes is Leah Remini and her like Scientology docuseries I that know, she put out. right? Oh, and so great. And she's like, she, you know, and she says, like, people don't understand how much money the Church of Scientology has and how much it makes. And I'm like, please do something about Mormonism because the Church of Scientology, because the Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they net five times what the Church of Scientology does in a year. Yeah. And people don't understand that. And and the reason that I think I am part of the like step away, I don't need to even culturally be Mormon anymore, like part of that movement is because... Like, if Leah Remini were to say, you know, I'm going to be the best Scientologist I can and and use all the power of Xenu to, like, change this church from the inside, we would think she's nuts. Yeah. But other churches, like, you know, so for me, that's why I can't do that with, like, I'm just, I'm just going to stay in Mormonism. I'm going to be a good Mormon, try to change it from within. I don't think that that, to me, flies <laughs> in the face of, I mean, to me, that flies in the face of logic. Like, that's like, I can't right. do that. 
Well, maybe for some people that's like part. Yeah. If I think, you know, kind of to what you were saying, like perhaps for some, and I, you know, we can ask Teresa this too, but perhaps for some people that's just like the way that they process perhaps even the grief of being of, oh, of, totally. of believing in something and then losing your belief gradually um maybe it's 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 some you know maybe it's one's way of and again like i don't i don't know but i could see it as being almost like a protective measure to like process your way out of it slowly even if you don't realize that's what you're doing because it's a way of dealing with grief you know what i mean instead of it's like weaning instead of quitting going cold turkey it is a grieving process and i think a lot of people when they leave the church they um, people attack them by saying like, oh, well, you can leave the church, but you can't leave it alone. And it's like, well, yeah, you're grieving, you're angry. And I don't think that anybody likes admitting that what they've dedicated their life to might not be true. Right. You know, might not be real. And that's really difficult yeah. for a lot of people. So I do think there's an amount of sincerity and compassion that I think we should have with with people who, you know, are trying to leave the church, whether or not you are a member of the church or not. Like, yeah, I, I interviewed a family whose son came out um, as gay and I asked the parents, I said, what was the reaction like from other people when you decided to leave the church? And the mother said it was ugly, mm. you know, and from those who they were closest to people within the yeah. church. Yeah, I, I, I often tell I mean, I feel like there are definitely cases where, you know, I'm proud of Mormon families and I'm proud of you know, maybe even certain wards, like certain cultures might be different than others. Like maybe it's easier, maybe it's easier, maybe it's harder to leave the church if you're in LA. Do you know what I mean? Like there maybe, maybe like if you're on the coast, it's a different experience of, you know, having a lot of friends who are Mormon and a lot of friends who aren't, and even plenty of friends who are lapsed Mormons or whatever. And everybody just kind of accepts it and goes with it versus, and I don't know if that's true, as I said, but, you know, perhaps being in a smaller community in, you know, the Midwest, like the idea of, of just, you know, of, of having a gay son or something would like completely, you know, s cause your entire community to just sort of disappear on you. I don't know. Yeah, I and that's why I think it's really important to tell young, I mean, young people in general, but especially young LDS people, if you feel like you are queer, and you can't express that if you can't do something about that, because you're in a position where you can't don't necessarily have control of your environment, then I think that the best thing you can do is find something that you feel you're good at or feel that you're passionate about and focus on that when times aren't so easy. Because mm -hmm. when you are in a position like I was when I, you know, moved to LA and I was like, I'm in charge now, I'm in control of myself, then you might have, by doing that, acquired a skill that can, you can turn into a job that you love, right. that, you know. Um, and then you'd be able to take care of yourself. I think it's really difficult when, when a young kid in the church knows, you know, who they are, but can't express that or do anything about that. Yeah, that's, I think that makes perfect sense. And I, you know what I realized too, I want to, um, circle back on, cause I forgot that I left this particular thought unfinished, not to say it's going to be a surprise to anyone, but the idea of like, <sighs> Like it's one thing, and I'm I hate it. I mean, I kind of hate it all, but it's one thing to like, you know, be Catholic and like take 
or what you know be whatever protest any anybody who proselytizes elsewhere whether you know it, like you know then we start wading into do you really give a shit if these people are catholic or do you just want to take over their cities and towns and and yeah. tiny communities and grow them and 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 you know exploit them but let's say even for the purest of heart like let's say a person truly truly believes in whatever their gospel tells them and they truly believe that they are bringing a happiness and a joy and a salvation to people who have not had the opportunity to hear the quote-unquote truth right let's just say it's like that pure of an intention to go someplace you know in central america and say hey we have this wonderful doctrine you know it's very different from yours you know from your ancient beautiful historic culture of you know what the the native people um you know, a thousand years ago, you know, as was we're growing from here. Um, by the way, I'm not an anthropologist, so I'm sure I'm totally wrong. It's probably like thousands <laughs> of years. I don't know, but but the old smoky oaky so days. So much, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's so much more insidious and just nasty to also strip someone of their past. Like it's not yeah. just let's change your future. Like things are going to get great for you starting now. It's like oh by the way you you already like it's in your blood like yes the you know the book of mormon was written here like you're one of the og like how special for you so you're just you're you're sort of returning to a truth that you know that empowers you and makes you special that you lost and we're returning that, and we're and we're reinstating that we're, we're providing that it's like oh no 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 like that is terrible to me this is also the reason why i get very upset when people who are latino tell other people who are latino that don't speak spanish that it makes them less latino i'm like wait a minute your ancestors straight up did not speak spanish <laughs> like the, right. and they weren't and they weren't catholic either <laughs> like right, i'm right. pretty sure that's because spain came over and was like um the cross or the sword okay you choose <laughs> like yeah I, you know, and so, yeah, I think that's a strange, like, reclaiming of identity that really didn't have anything to do with your identity in the first place. Well, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I was talking about that with Oscar Nunez, too, because he was in a movie with Antonio Banderas. And so there were these sort of awkward moments where uh, and he was and when they were doing this movie, you know, it was Oscar's Cuban. And, you know, his one of his friends was is 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 Mexican. And then you have this, you know, the Spanish Antonio Banderas. And they would get into it a little bit about, you know, like like I think at one point, I hope Oscar wouldn't mind me telling this, but uh, Antonio, you know, said something about like the Spanish liberating Cuba and Oscar said like his eyes almost popped out of his head like, <laughs> like I'm sorry what, what? is yeah. that how you see it like whoa you know yeah but it's also a cultural thing it's probably something that you know someone from Spain was brought up being taught or believing and may not interact much with someone from Cuba who thinks totally different like let me tell you my side of the story sure yeah sure absolutely um and so did you did you feel um what what attachment to Latino or Latinx um, culture did you have? Did you did you have with your mom and your extended side of of your Mexican family? Where did that come into play um, beyond just kind of Mormonism? Growing up, I was much closer to my mom's side of the family than I think my dad's because her side of the family was much bigger, and it was also important for my parents, for my dad, I think, that he 
that my mom feel like we would go there and visit her family a lot. So she hadn't like abandoned her family or country or, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was brought up speaking Spanish. I, I'm the youngest of four. So my siblings all spoke Spanish first because when my parents got married, my mom didn't speak any English. Mm. And by the time I was born, she did. So I grew, grew up speaking both simultaneously. And I was always taught to be proud of my heritage, to be proud to be Mexican, um, proud to you know speak Spanish. Um, I can see how you know learning and knowing another language opens up a whole other world to you. I can't. Um, I sp- I went on a Spanish speaking mission to New York City. I was in the Bronx the whole time, and I can't imagine how difficult it would have been for me to try to learn a new language, and not only learn Spanish but then go oh a Puerto Rican and Dominican and Cuban dialect of Spanish. Like, I'm grateful that I grew up speaking Spanish and that I main, you know, maintained that it's just part of who I am. But I've lived in and visited more cities in Mexico than I have in the States. Like when I was 16, my dad retired from the military and he got a job in Mexico. So uh, we moved to like, have you seen the Shawshank Redemption? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so the place the place where Morgan Freeman escapes to in the end, like Zihuatanejo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I lived there on the oh beach for like uh, like uh, almost a year um, when I was 16. And then I had to come back to the States to finish high school. But um, my mom's from a tiny town called Ameca Mecca, which is like an hour and a half outside of Mexico City. Mm-hmm. So we would go there and visit all the time. And I've been to the Aztec pyramids more time than I can count. Um I just have always felt very close to that part of who I am and that part of my identity, which has been interesting as an adult, because I think now everyone, I think, feels like their identity is under a microscope or under attack. And Mm. nobody, nobody wants to be told how to identify, which means that people take issue with how you identify. I, I did a comic, like a six page mini comic called You Say Latino, which like described and talked about the differences between the terms Latino and Hispanic and the internet freaked out. Like a lot Mm. of people felt that it was, you know, it was good and it was helpful and it was educate educational. And then other people were like, you're a fake white Mexican. You don't know what you're talking about. You weren't born in Mexico. And, (laughs) and I'm like, okay, um, Mexican isn't a race. Like it's not, you know, like Latino isn't a race. It's an ethnicity. And there are, like, what, why do I have to explain to you that there are black, white, indigenous, native, mixed Latinos everywhere? Like, right. that's so strange to me. Anyway, and, you know, according to the Mexican government, if one of your parents is born in Mexico, no matter where you were born, they consider you Mexican. So I am Mexican. I don't care what you yeah. say. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Um, yeah. So it's been very interesting because I think um, right now, especially right now in this country... The Latino identity is something that is very controversial. People don't know what to make of it. They don't know what to think of it. Some people don't want any Latinos here. It's just really disgusting to me. But the like, I don't think people understand. And this is something that I really try to tell everybody I come in contact with. But Latinos are the largest minor- ethnic minority group in the country. And we also have the least amount of representation across media which is so strange to me considering how many Asian people you don't see on TV. Like, there's even less Latinos. But we account for 25% of all movie ticket sales every weekend. And so that's an entire quarter of that market that that we support. And that's, to me, it's unacceptable that there aren't, there isn't more representation for Latinos 
in media when that's the case. It means it means that we're supporting stories and movies with characters that often don't sound like, look like, feel like, or think like us. Mm-hmm. And the fastest growing demographic in the country because of this is the Latina. And often when Latinas are represented, it's still as like the maid or a sex object. And so in everything I write, in every comic that I make, like narrative story comic, it's important for me to include Latinas who are brave or flawed or queer or interesting or, you know, to have that be representative of the reality that we live in. So I don't know. That's my that's my rant about Latino identity. I feel very close to it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you asked about in regards to also Mormonism. And so it's it's a really funny dynamic because I'll say things to my mom like, hey, mom, so like growing up, you didn't really celebrate like Dia de Muertos or Day of the Dead or anything. And she's like, she'll, her response is always, eso es una cosa católica. <laughs> like, like, that's a Catholic thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, and I'm like, okay, um, but I know plenty of Mexicans who celebrate Day of the Dead who like aren't really Catholic. And she's like, well, that's yeah. because we love a party. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> so it's always kind of like a jab and then a joke. And I'm like, right. all right. Um, right. But, but yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I've I've heard you talk about how like you feel like because you were raised like learning a lot about Latino culture and about Hispanic culture and how you kind of feel more close to some of the holidays that you learned about and stuff, too. And so in a way, I sort of feel the same way. But they were this like secret forbidden thing like Las Posadas. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, I would love to do that, especially hearing about all the food and stuff. And my mom was like, oh, it's a Catholic thing. Well, that's, I mean, that really is fascinating, right? It, it uh, That's what I think, you know, you have such a, a wonderful story to tell because your story is, you know, uh, we all do, of course. It's just that you have this very specific perspective into sort of like three big sto- that, stories that could be stories on their own that then had to interact with each other all inside of you, right? Because you have being gay and being and identifying, you know, with your Latino culture, and then also being surrounded by Mormonism, which, you know, if, if you're in a family, that's quite devout, like that can be like a 24 seven thing. Like there's always something to do something going on, some sort of, you know what I mean? There's always like a way to, to be actively Mormon. You could just do that every moment that you're awake if you wanted to. And so, you know, finding a way to, integrate or not integrate you know all of those things because the question I was going to ask you too was like spending all that time in Mexico did you feel in any way I guess I'm not going to assume the answer even though I sort of already have but did you feel in any way like there was any less rigidity you know in in your experience in Mexico about homosexuality than there was in Boise uh, in the Mormon community or were you just so or were you still experiencing Mormonism but just the Mexican version. I was still experiencing Mormonism, but the Mexican version. Because okay, growing okay. up there, growing up there, uh, well, back and forth between Boise and Mexico, um, every experience I had in Mexico, because I was with my parents, was seen and experienced through the lens of Mormonism. Yeah. So let's go to a church activity or let's go visit the temple or let's go this and that. So it was very important for me a couple months ago to take an adult (laughs) trip to Mexico with my husband. Mm, Yeah. Because I was like, I need to experience this place as 
the way I want to experience it. I want to go to the museums. I want to go eat all the food I want to eat. I want to go to a gay bar, maybe. I want to, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we were able to take that trip. And it was so funny because from the perspective of, like, my parents being worried for me, they're like, Mexico's still a very, you know, machista country, so don't tell anybody that you're gay. We don't want anybody to hurt you. And then I'm going to visit my friend Daniel, who's like, uh, Mexico City's the gay capital of Latin America. <laughs> 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 like we just had you're gonna the, be one fine. Of the biggest, you're gonna be just fine it's like we just had one of the biggest pride celebrations in the world like Amazing. yeah it's you, you know you well and that's another thing that people that sort of bothers me is people will often say to me like um well aren't you scared to go to mexico aren't you scared to visit mexico city and i was like well what do you mean and they're like well isn't it dangerous and i'm like well isn't new york city dangerous isn't right. la dangerous like, right. I'm not going to find out where a drug dealer lives and hang out in front of his house in the middle of the night. I'm going to go see all the beautiful things. <laughs> right. Well, here's what I'm going to say, because I knew that um, I was going to be on the phone with you and that it, time was going to go by very quickly and there was going to be a ton of stuff I didn't touch on. But is there are we in a unique position because people can refer to autobiographical comics that you've done to sort of fill in some of the gaps about your teenage life? Yeah, I'm I have a few, a couple little comics, one called Ghetto Swirl, which is about me as a missionary, and the You Say Latino one that talk a bit about some of my teenage years and growing up. I have yeah. another one I'm working on right now that I will release pretty soon. But my agent has persuaded me into writing an autobiographical graphic novel. <laughs> so I mean, I just think that's I so think... I feel this feels like such a no brainer to me, but it's easy for me to say from the outside, but yeah. See, I and I have I've resisted it for a very long time. And I think that autobio is very healthy for people to do. It's, you know, interesting to kind of go through those experiences and write about yourself. But I'm also in the in, sort of in a weird space where I feel like I don't want to write stuff from my perspective about my teenage years and then say like have my parents read it and be really offended. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's one of the drawbacks. But I'm trying to think of it as like this, you know, this is just my experience. It's my point of view. It's not meant to be, you know, negative or hurtful towards anyone. This is just what I went through. But that's but that's so understandably hard because you worked so hard, you know, as you mentioned, like you it was so it was hard to come out, you know, it was hard to live not telling them. Then it was hard to live for a little bit after they knew. And so once you get to a place where you feel like everything's good, who can blame you for hesitating to like perhaps, you know, upset them or offend them in some way, even if, you know, it's important for you. Like nobody really knows how hard I work to cultivate a good relationship with my parents post coming out. So like, I yeah. don't want to do something that would also destroy that. Yeah. But I don't know. It could be it could be an interesting book. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> I almost feel like maybe there's something to, you know, maybe that is part of it. Like maybe God, is this crazy? I can't believe I'm saying this on my podcast. Like, I'm just trying to feed you ideas. I wonder if there's an element <laughs> that's like, what if the graphic novel is is almost like there's a little there's like a little present day Terry who pops up in little bubbles and says, you know, hey, mom and dad, just real quick, like this might bum you out. Just remember, I love you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder, like that might be really interesting and moving to to sort of check back in with current present day Terry who is taking a chance and, you know, and is as is, is nervous about 
the way, you know, the people he care about, he cares about, like, he doesn't want to alienate them because the relationship is important. Like, I kind of would love that, I think, if it was like, oh, yeah, this is present day Terry, like, because you can do whatever you want. It's your it's your graphic novel. Yeah, I think there needs to maybe be something like that, some sort of device to to also explain, like, if I just go into all of a sudden some section where I'm a missionary, people aren't going to really understand necessarily what's happening. So to have some sort of narrative device where maybe I pop up and I'm like, look, this is, let me put this in context for you. Yeah. <laughs> could, could be helpful in so many ways. So yeah, I, I agree. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Welcome. Thank you. No problem. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go, a real podcast. Yeah, I, I would love to get into this mash game with you and maybe we can scratch a few of those teenage itches, um, so to speak, oh, yeah. as well in ye old mash game. Um, let's start with, uh, a, OK, as um, as a teenager, what what kind of stuff were you drawing? Like what were you in? What, like, I'm sure it was a ton of different stuff. Oh. But were there particular things you were like, oh, I loved, you know, sketching out this Absolutely. or like I loved yeah I this is somewhat strange but I never drew rarely drew any kind of like superhero male or handsome guy because I felt like that would betray this secret that I was carrying like oh, why wow. did you draw some sort of sexy dude so I drew an obscene amount of Disney princesses <laughs> oh my gosh how crazy is that that's but amazing I, to this day love drawing women I think drawing women is so fun and they're so beautiful and and so interesting and I mean way more interesting than men on many a level <laughs> but, but like but like yeah I genuinely love drawing women and I think that started because of my love of drawing like cool girls and Disney princesses and superhero women and yeah okay so let's start with three um of these uh wonderful ladies that you enjoy drawing three characters that you enjoy drawing that you would love to actually sort of spend time with in their world Ooh, okay um i'm going to say um like phoenix jean gray from the x-men mm-hmm. <laughs> and these are from when i was a teenager right like when i was a kid yeah yeah. Okay. So then I guess I'll also say um, Princess Jasmine from Aladdin. Great. Um, because that was the closest I was ever going to. And still, I think I'm going to get to a Latina Disney princess. <laughs> don't listen. I don't, I don't, I don't speak too soon. Don't speak too soon. But yeah. And then I'm going to say Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Amazing. Listen, Beautiful. Janet, when I went on my mission, I cried for like three days because it meant I was going to miss seasons five and six of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as it oh, aired. And that's no. not a joke. I, I was mean, like, this is, is about just... a girl who has to hide who she is. High school's hell. She has this big secret. I can't. <laughs> well, made you managed to see The Lion King, if memory serves. Right? Yeah. Well, I did have a, a church member who was like, so why don't you come over for dinner at like Tuesdays at seven? And I was like, done. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I'm sure it was like, what Mormons are involved in show business that I can really lean on hard while I'm here in New York <laughs> yeah. to, to reconnect with that. Okay. Next one is, Ooh, actually let's go with this. Let's go with this. So let's say, Oh my gosh, this is such a gross interpretation of you're alone on a, on a stranded on an Island, <laughs> but let's say okay. you could take, yeah. What three things from whatever it was that you, you know, connected with in terms of entertainment, be it an album, a book, a, a co- you know, a comic book, a movie, what three things, um, and obviously you'll end up with one, which is bittersweet, would you wish that you could, like, that was allowed? Like, yes, Terry, you can take three things. It's like Survivor. Three. What are your three personal items? Oh, like that I could have taken with me on a mission? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, on, so Ooh. it's on a mission. Yeah. So it's like you're going back on your mission, but you have, you know, um, a, you have like, you know, a dark Phoenix comic book that you can read right. over and over again or whatever. So it would have been, um, I guess, a DVD copy of The Wizard of Oz. Great. Um, <laughs> um, it would have been, um, let's see, my collection of X-Men comic books. Nice. Um, and... A copy of um, O.T. Nelson's The Girl Who Owned a City, which was one of my favorite books when I was a kid. Girl. If you don't know that book, it's about um, a neighborhood, well, a world where all the adults have died from like a virus. Ooh. <laughs> and it's about this little girl who has to protect her neighborhood and little brother from this like group of bullies who are stealing food and beating up kids. Oh, I love it. I love a good Y. I love a good YA adventure. Uh, okay, next category. Let's do three places in the world uh, that you would like to have a vacation home. Mexico City. Great. Aren't you um, worried it's dangerous? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm pretty tough. <laughs> I've seen every. I've seen every episode of Buffy, so you can't mess with me. Um, awesome. So definitely Mexico City. I would say. Ooh, this is tough. Um, London. Great. I'm, you can can you tell I'm not like a very outdoorsy type of person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, listen, I get it. I have never been here, but I'm dying to go. So why not um, have a vacation home in Tokyo? Yeah, I figured you would probably say that. And I think you definitely will fall madly in love when you go. Um, I can't wait to go. Great. Uh, I want to get into all due respect to your wonderful husband. Let's go into our alternate universe, uh, sexy times, relationship, yeah. one night stand, whatever you want. Sure. Okay. Sorry, babe. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will say, okay, how about Jason Momoa? Yep. <laughs> like Aquaman, Jason Momoa. Wonderful. Um, I'm going to say Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. to have a Latino in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like the, I like the big dreamy eyelids, I guess. Oh yeah. And I'll say, I'll say Colton Haynes for his super symmetrical face. <laughs> Amazing, amazing reason. <laughs> Love it. Okay, great. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, next. I mean, he's category. very handsome. There we go. Yeah, for like, you're like, I don't, I'm not attracted to him, but I really like symmetry. Um, I also can't not have like a gay person in there. I need to represent. Yeah, like, I need there to you go. Anyway. I think that's a, that's a good robust list. Uh, okay, next category. Let's do uh, foods. You know the drill. You listen to the podcast. You know what I mean when I say uh. the food category. Yeah, that I can eat until I die. <laughs> Whatever you want. Nothing nothing goes awry. 
for any reason? I'm going to say super, super expensive gourmet sushi. <laughs> Great. I'm going to say um, fresh pan dulce, like Mexican pastry sweetbread. Mm. And then why not like, I'm going to say pizza with black olives. <laughs> oh, very specific. Um, Wonderful. Pizza with black olives, mushrooms, and pepperoni. Oh, That my. specific. <laughs> Those three. Okay, you're going to have to remind me that because I ran out of room. So it says pizza, black olives, M, and P. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. I'll you're remember. You're going to remember. Uh, okay, next category. Let's do... Let's do your life as interpreted by an artist that you like that that you admire. So that could be a director, it could be a cart, it could be a you know a comic artist, it could be a musician, um, any number you know whatever you want to mix and match. But someone that you love and respect that you would love to kind of see them in some way capture like who you are and what your life is like. That's kind of a a weird big thing to say, but. No, that's fine. Okay, well, can I say Colleen? No, uh, Mona May. Yeah, Mona May is a costume. A- she's a costume designer who did Romeo Michelle's High School Reunion, Never Been Kissed, Wedding Singer. Oh my god, this is perfect. This is exactly what this new category that I've never said before is for. So perfect, Mona, Mona May. Mona Great. May, perfect. Um, I'm also going to say uh, Terry Zweigoff. Another Terry, I guess. <laughs> um, he's the director who made Ghost World and yeah. um, Art School art? Confidential. I was going to say, you know, Art School Confidential is one that um, is just like, I feel like it's kind of lost in the annals of history. No one talks about that movie, but I really liked it. I mean, having gone to art school. Yeah. <laughs> I love right. it. Especially when like yeah. the, the guy who like knows nothing about art puts up his piece and everyone's like, it's almost like he had to forget how to draw to make this oh, amazing i'm like oh my it's, gosh yeah. I can't. guys if you haven't i haven't um, seen it like almost since it came out i feel like i saw it like three times in a row um so i i can't say like if someone writes me and is like there is a very un- inappropriate comment in there i have to tell you like things weren't as pc as they are now but listen watch it yeah. it is a treat terry's wagah is very special he's a very special brain so i love this choice i'm ready for your third um ooh. okay this I don't know what people are going to think of this, but as a teenager and still to this day, I love a good Tim Burton movie. Wonderful. <laughs> so I'm going to say Tim Burton. Oh, God, I would love to see. Yeah, absolutely. Going to that, I went to his, um, this was a good mashup, the, his whole like touring, you know, um, museum exhibit of like all of his yeah. sketches and all that stuff that happened to be in Tokyo when I was there. So it was such an wow. amazing place to see that because I already was having like this wonderful culture shock. And then to go into this sort of imaginary world for a few hours was great. Uh, great so choice. Cool. Um, okay. Next question. Let's do alternate reality. It can it could be alternate reality careers or it can even be like alternate reality like you're just like you you just experience being another person altogether. Like if you want to be, you know, a woman in an alternate reality or whatever. Sure. Um, um I guess so like an alternate reality career, I would want to be a lawyer. Great. But like an L Woods type lawyer. Like <laughs> like like one who <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Like one who hears like a small kernel of like oh, wait a minute, but you said this movie and I know that that's wrong. <laughs> like figuring I stuff know. out this way. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. Um, wonderful. 
I would also love, because I love to sing and I was in musical, like in musicals as a kid and stuff. So I would love to have an alternate reality where I can play the guitar and the piano. Great. So I can sing along with that. So I guess musician. Great. Um, huh. Man, I don't know. Well, I definitely don't make movies, but I would love to do that. So Filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, I guess I participated and worked in a documentary, so fine. But yeah, I was going to say, yeah. like, well, well we, we can't say that you aren't that. But that's, but yeah, it with, with more time uh, in this alternate reality. Like narrative films, like time. stories and stuff yeah. of, like, fiction. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, last category. Is there one that you all, that you have heard me ask that you're like, oh, I hope I get to answer that someday. No pressure. This is just me trying to take the pressure off me. No, that's fine. Um, I listen. I have listened since the very first Christine Hendricks episode. <laughs> I'm that Amazing. big a fan. And when I need to laugh, I'm not joking, Janet. When I need to laugh, I instantly go to your episode with Alison Brie. <laughs> oh, that's um, such a good one. There is one question you ask somebody that I think it's like, if you could seek out, um, like have a mentor or like yes. seek out from someone, like from a definitely. fictional world or whatever. So yes, maybe that one. Definitely. Yes. Perfect. Um. Okay, I'm gonna. Um, you would think I would have thought about my answers then. <laughs> Not um, at all. Not I'm at all. I'm the say, same way. I'm gonna say um, old, old lady Toph from Cora. Yes, indeed. Because I like that tough love. Like, it's just what people. You know, need you're getting. You're. She's. She's a straight shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say Giles from Buffy. Great, love it. That's a very comforting, like older British man who like just. Has you know has your best interest at heart? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna say the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz because Adorable. he's secretly wise. That's yeah. right. And I love and I love when Dorothy whispers in his ear, "You're my favorite." Oh my gosh! I oh yes yes beautiful. Okay, uh, why don't you? I'm gonna do my little swizzle. So tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay, great. I am going to. Okay, I'm going to start this. I Let's see if I can get through it while you tell the wonderful people listening um, about, again, you, we talked about two of your mini comics. Please tell people um, all the other things they can enjoy uh, uh, or at least where they can find them for you. Yeah. Um, my first graphic novel is called Dead Weight which I co-wrote with Molly Muldoon and the art is by Matt Seeley. And that's an Oni Press book, which is a queer murder mystery set at a weight loss camp. Oh, um, amazing. <laughs> my second graphic novel is called Hotel Dare, which is also available now through Boom Studios. And it is about three siblings who get sent to live with their creepy Mexican grandma in a disgusting hotel that she owns. Oh, God, that's so only <laughs> Only to find out that every room in the hotel leads to a different magical world and that grandma likely doesn't own the hotel by coincidence. Um, that's all. Yeah, that's available God. now. Yes, uh, wonderful. Yeah. And um, you can find all my stuff on my website, terryblast.com. Um, and I post a lot of my artwork on my social media, on Instagram, sometimes on Twitter, but both of those are just my name, Terry Blass, which is T-E-R-R-Y-B-L-A-S. Beautiful. 
I'm ready when you are. So I highly encourage everybody to go to all of those places. Okay. So first of all, oh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here. I want you to, uh, I want you to feel very good about your, uh, your time, uh, spent on your mission, uh, with your, and this is, I think the best one. And you'll probably agree the, your entire X-Men collection. Ooh, yes. That's wonderful. Cause that was kind of sneaky. It wasn't like one comic book was like a collection, which I love. Uh, I love a good sneaky, uh, I love a good sneaky one. Um, so X-Men, uh, are, are your companions all along the way. Um, (laughs) congratulations on that. If, if, uh, you still kind of feel like you're going crazy and, uh, you just need someone to talk to now or whenever in your life, I want you to rest assured that you can summon old lady Toph from the legend of Korra whenever you need and whenever you want. She'll probably teach you a bunch of martial arts as well if you want. Um, Amazing. So fantastic on that. Uh, uh, I want to congratulate you on your beautiful apartment in Mexico City. (gasps) Oh, my dream. It's pretty great, right? Pretty great. I'm so excited. I am very excited to find out what kind of um, wonderful like aha moments you have in your alternate career as a lawyer a la l woods (laughs) um oh my gosh amazing it's gonna be absolutely amazing i'm also excited because like somehow through all of this uh you are able to see what your life looks like through the eyes of none other than tim burton which i also feel like like you know the idea of like tim burton's interpretation of your mexico city apartment um it may be sort of Coco-esque, but, you know, Tim Burton's going to put his weird spin on it in a totally yeah. unique way. I say, and everybody else in dark clothes, well, I'm wearing a pink suit. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. As I walk uh, to my I, lawyer job. And I don't know how to tell you this, but I, I do worry a little bit that it also might mean that all of your unlimited gourmet sushi might come to life and, like, do a little dance around, around your plate. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to decide to eat it after all, but uh, I'm very excited for your Tim Burton world. And yes, you do have unlimited supply of just the very most delicious gourmet sushi. It, it does zero harm to the environment, to your body, anything. This is a wonderful, beautiful, imaginary world of joy. Uh, and then that leaves us with a couple of uh, of last things that I think you're going to be very excited about. One of them is that you are able to a jump into the world of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <gasps> no. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so basically, not only do you have Toph, but you also have Giles because obviously you can go there whenever you want. So I feel like that I was instantly a learn one. I instantly learn witchcraft while I'm there. So. Instantly. <laughs> instantly. I do know. Uh, and all of this uh, incredible adventure and journey uh, in your alternate MASH universe is being shared with none other than genuinely nice guy in person, Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Which, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I guess is is he Aquaman? I guess he's Aquaman roaming all over the world. Or is he just like Jason Momoa, but like he looks like he did an Aquaman? Sure. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen if I you want to be able to go under the water and, and like swim with sharks and stuff, I'm also completely comfortable Perfect. with him just being Aquaman. I met him at a convention and I gave him this artwork that I drew of him and I could not speak. I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a very yeah. he's he's a, he has the exact uh levity of like or i'm sorry he has the exact gravity of presence that you expect like he's yeah. one of those people where you're like 
you know, you meet people and you're like, oh, they're much smaller in person. It's like, no, Jason Momoa is huge. He's a huge, uh, beautiful man. <laughs> yeah. Um, he feel it feels like like he just appeared in the, out of nowhere from some sort of fantasy. Um, but yeah, super super nice guy. So I'm very excited. Imagine Jason Momoa in a Mexico City setting directed by Tim Burton. <laughs> that would be fucking amazing. It's happening. It's happening. I mean, it's happening. Okay. It's gonna happen. Uh, so that, my dear, leaves us with just this final piece of business, which is that you, and again, no pressure whatsoever, but you will be the, uh, as far as I know, final boy to sing a snippet of admittedly not great guy Don Henley's song, Voice of Summer. <laughs> no oh, one no, is I'm saying gonna... he's a great human being. No one is saying he spent his decades in the Eagles being great to women. But hey, it's the song. <laughs> it's it's, um, a, it's a I'm going to I'm going to murder the lyrics. Um please. Um let's see. Um I can see you your brown skin shining in the sun. Um, he's sitting a, you he's clearly he's singing back. about a latina, so Perfect. Um sunglasses on baby i think that's right um i can tell you my love for you would still be strong after the boys of summer have gone i think that's right i don't know that was absolutely right that was like note for note perfect and by the way if anybody is offended that i just said that he was writing about a latina girl because uh, he said that she had brown skin it's only because i'm talking to terry and we've been joking about stuff so please don't write in I love you. I love you, you know all. Uh, uh, wonderful. Wonderful. I'm so glad we made this happen. I'm so glad we're squeezing it in post Labor Day. Um, it was very important to me uh, because, yeah, you, when, when you reached out, I was like, oh, gosh, why haven't I had Terry on the podcast yet? So I'm so glad to um, to be able to get that uh, to happen. And I my next hope is just that I'll see you in person soon. Yeah, it has secretly been a dream of mine to be on your podcast. So I'm very, very Aww. happy now. <laughs> it's been my great pleasure to make that dream come true. Now I just got to work on the Momoa part. Um, <laughs> just kidding. You have a wonderful well, husband. Wonderful husband. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll touch base next time. Next time I see go. you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, all right, love. And uh, for the rest of you, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I will see you next time. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.